Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today is Carl Havens in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Carl. Good morning from Gainesville and um, I just want to say I'm real happy to be here with the ever increasingly famous Simon Forster and the no- notorious Johnny Sisson. I think I think it's I think it's fair to say that jo- Johnny, if we're talking about appearances on podcasts and things like that, then Johnny is outstripping us by a long way. And talking of Johnny, here he is now um, well, from uh, Chicago, uh, Illinois. Yeah. Hello, Johnny. Yeah. Hello, hello, all. How are you? How, how are you guys? I don't know. You you you've been on more other podcasts than I have, uh, Simon. No, pretty sure. No, pretty sure. I don't no? think so. No. Oh, all right. You're, okay. You're, you're the one putting yourself out there at the moment. It seems. Um, all right. Okay. Well, anyway, let's let's let's. I, let's, I don't always remember afterwards, but okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true. Well, I think we'll probably talk a little bit more about that coming up. So. Yeah. I mean, um, there's quality and quantity. Also, that's the other. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Um, so before we get on to this week, let's um, quick. Uh, touch on last week's uh, tribute show which was uh, a show that was a tribute to the best podcast ever um, which we lost I say we I lost uh, and we rushed through a show so if you're still here having listened to last week's show thank you well done for uh, staying around um, and I think it's also worth uh, mentioning um, Ricardo Bayon's summary of last week's show uh, the one he lost or the, the well, real summary? And and this this is the thing. I, I, he went through a very similar experience to us. He he wrote a summary which he put his heart and soul into. Um, he, he wept, um, I, I believe, when he actually finished it because it was so moving. Um, but unfortunately, the, the dog ate it. Um, mm. So he had to go back to it and write another version of it, which wasn't really quite as good. But it was still good enough. And... Uh, I think it's got to be said that yeah, it's well worth reading reading that, even though it isn't actually as good as the the original one. So, uh, yeah, so right. well done to Ricardo, and uh, go to Instagram and his feed of uh, well, it's not just his feed; he's one of the people that's involved in there of uh, best vintage lens. Um, so this week we're going to have a bit of a catch up uh, because we haven't really caught up with some of the things we've been doing and. Uh, uh, Carl's been up to a lot of things plus he's he did have a couple of weeks off as well so I'm sure Carl's got lots of things to talk to us about so do you want to take it away Carl? Sure you didn't want to do emails first right? No no let's let's, let's oh, okay let's, let's go chat. right into it yeah uh, okay so I'm, I've, I laid out all the things that I did during the week in regard to the gear that I used and um, it kind of shocked me because I kept complaining this week about how busy work was but somehow I managed time, find time to, to do some other things. So I finished, let's say, I, I finished up a roll of um, XP2 that I had started to shoot in Washington when I was there. And um, I've got that sitting here. I, I saved these things up to send them to um, a photo lab to cut down the postage costs. Um, I've got a new Konica Pearl because I've dropped and broke my old one. <laughs> and the new one's beautiful. And I, um, I put a roll of... Um, Kodak 400 TX in it earlier in the week, shot it. Um, our friend Anthony Rude developed and scanned them for me, and the images turned out great. So I'm really happy with that. Nice little folder, and uh, it has another roll of film in it right now. And let's see, I shot a roll of uh, AGFA, um, what is it, 100 APX Professional. Um, 
this week, and then I'm about 30, 30 through a roll of uh, AGFA Copex Rapid 50 film, which I really like that rendering of that. Um, and I like being able to shoot out in the bright sun and shoot at f1.4 or two. That's kind of cool. And um, then those were both on my on my Bessa. And uh, so let's see. That's actually, I guess I shot four rolls of film this week, which is kind of amazing. I've got a cool little Minox camera here that Anthony loaned me that I'm going to take out and start shooting tomorrow. Um, so that's it for my film stuff. Um, I need to shoot up that, um, that ASA 50 film soon because we've got some events coming up this week that are going to be in the evening inside where it's dark and i'm gonna so so i got that i got that copex rapid film as one of my secret santa gifts and i liked it so much that i bought six more rolls of it and another gift that i got was um some ilford 3200 and i've never known what to do with it but there's an evening and well indoor night concert this week and an indoor night art um exhibit opening and i'm going to a friend's party so i think that um might be able to get some good shots with a 3200 film so i'm going to give that a try and see what happens with that um all right what else well i'm, I'm just i'm just yeah, wondering yeah, about go that. Ahead. i'm just wondering about that 3200 film because i've got a few rolls of that myself on mm-hmm. uh, yeah. 120 yeah. i might have some on 32 on 35 millimeter as well and I've had, them, had it for over a year, and I'm thinking, "Oh, this is cool." And then I'm thinking, "What am I going to do with this?" <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So I don't. I don't really. I mean, I do some night photography, and I and I, I. That's one of the things I really enjoy going out with my with my Sony and hand holding no, no tripod, and uh, I, I quite like that. And, uh, and and I'm I guess I'm usually shooting around about eight hundred ISO or something like that. That tends to be what I can do with street lighting handheld. Um, yeah. But obviously, that I would have to shooting faster with uh with with film but you could argue well there you go you've got you've got some film there um that'll do it so i think i need to go out there although i think one of the things i quite like shooting color at night so yeah um, so you've got to see things differently but and actually that that reminds me so uh, yesterday i was um i'll come on to it a little bit more i was at the photography show and um a, a sony was handed over to me at one point um and it was using the EVF in black and white mode, which I'm hearing a lot of people talking about that recently, and I've never bothered to do it, but uh, mm-hmm. it, I really liked it. And I think I I'm like gonna, it too. Yeah, I'm going to start start doing that myself for several reasons. But back to this um, uh, Delta 3200, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, Johnny, if you've got any tips for how that should be used, uh, what speed to shut it at, exposure index, and, and how you would also develop it as well. Well, it does very much depend on how you develop it. Um, that's going to make a difference in or the uh, the truly what what speed you can rate it at. I mean, I I of course blockhead that I am only develop everything in road and all as is well known, um, and you really can't shoot that film anywhere near thirty two hundred in road and all, in my opinion, um, because it it's just always going to be really thin. So it's, it's really effectively more like, well, I think their literature even says that it's, it's really more like a, um, a 1600 speed film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, I would shoot, shoot it for me. I would shoot it at probably 800 tops. Okay. okay. Um, but that again, it, that's because I'm developing it a road. Now you might have better luck in other developers. And if you're not developing it yourself, and you don't know what developer is going to be used. 
you know, I would probably cheat it a little bit. Um, and I would probably rate it at 1600. Um, but it's much the same story with, uh, the new, uh, T max 3,200. I mean, it's, you know, the literature even says that it's not truly a 3,200 film. It can be shot at 3,200. So, uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think whenever possible, you want to give it a little bit more, uh, exposure than, you know, than at 3,200. Yeah, I'm gonna um, get some help with this one because um, I've been—it's been sitting in the in the freezer since, yeah. since I got it, and I've been wondering what to do. And um, I was talking to Anthony about it this week, and he showed me a role that he shot in the mm-hmm. same um, club that I'm going into, where this band is playing, and his photos yeah. are phenomenal. Um, That's great, a- absolutely fantastic shot. Ask him, the band. yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm gonna and he and he got picture. He's got this picture of um, people selling T-shirts at a table that's all dark, but there's light illuminating the out the like, kind of like the fringe of their hair and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, and it, they're just really good. And I'm gonna ask him about how he shot it, and I'm gonna see if if he, if he can give me a hand in the in the developing yeah. of it too. Yeah, yeah, and it, I mean it'd be interesting to hear what he's developing it in. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Because that that's definitely gonna make a difference in 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 uh, what speed you can really use it at. Um, so I'm sure, I'm sure he will have some really good advice for you. Yeah. So, well, whatever he did, it turned out really well. So I'm going to get this kind of good results. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, oh, and, um, I have now this wonderful yellow filter that came from central camera yesterday. Oh, um, so I've got that to use on the, on the Voigtlander when I, when I put some more normal film into it and, um, put that in my little pouch with my other, my other 43 millimeter filters. Um, what else did I do this week? Oh, so my, <laughs> we, last week we were talking about a Helios 103, and um, when you so and this is back to you know when you buy when you buy that lens online, usually you, you get it with a free adapter um, to whatever camera you have, and um, it's a funny little thing because the um, there's a lens block that you can clip out, and then the helicoids inside of the adapter, and um, I've had it for however long I've had the Sony camera and the, and it's a custom made thing and it came out of the base. And so someone took a M 39, an L 30 LTM 39 adapter and, and fit this thing into it apart from a Kiev camera. And, um, I thought, Oh, geez, I'm gonna have to buy another one of those. But, um, by putting a little bead of super glue in, into it without the lens block inside and um, tightening up the grub screws. It's good as new. So I'm back in business using that again. So I've got, I, and I took a couple shots with that this week. Um, I've been using, oh, oh I, got, I got my um, Tokina Vivitar 17 millimeter 3.5 lens, which while I was shooting it, I was thinking, I don't really like this. These pictures aren't going to be good, but actually I, I like the way they turned out. It's, it's gonna. It's a cool. good lens. It, it fills yeah. a niche, a niche that I didn't have before, and so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang on to it at least for a while by my standards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it, and and it is, it is it is. I don't know if it's a budget lens. So I think it's a budget lens because I don't think you can buy a 17 millimeter lens. Right for less than one hundred and ten dollars, and have <laughs> right. it, and, it, and it's in mint condition. It looks like a brand new lens that yeah. no one's ever used. So I, I awesome. think that I think you know that's a budget lens. Um, and think, of course, I was, my I'm just going to yeah, say yeah, let, let's yeah. let's just expand on budget lenses because there's been a, a, a certain amount of debate 
uh, this, this mm-hmm. week on what constitutes a budget lens. <laughs> Largely, uh, the, the criticism being pointed at Johnny, of course, who's very elitist, who thinks a budget lens <laughs> should be around about $200 or so, something like that. Because you want the, you know, this Canon LTM 50mm 1.8 budget lens? <laughs> really? No. No. I, I, all right, but I'm telling you, you keep your eyes open, you can get them for around $100. So I know, but you're talking. So, so, is it a budget lens if. Um, if you tell someone that you can find one that's got problems for for hundred dollars, or is it no, I, I, sure? One? I think I think okay. it's, it's it's I think so. I think we that was where we started off with the whole conversation with, wasn't it? If if well, I, I gotta our, tell what, you, what was our budget, right? And we were going to get three lenses. But many of the ones we recommended last week, for the price we said. The lens would be almost perfect. The the um, both of the Sigma lenses for the price we said would be sure almost flawless. The uh, SMC Takamar fifty five one point eight for the price we said it would be a perfect lens. Um, almost to the whole range. I think they were all. You're going to get a good lens, not not something that's scratched or has something going on with it. All right, but. I, I just again, and I, I'm pretty sure I made this really clear when we spoke about it last time. That there, when you're talking about rangefinder stuff, your budget is going to be different than if you're talking about SLR stuff because there's loads of cheap SLR stuff out there, and it's just that's just not the case with rangefinder stuff. I mean, unless you're talking about you know, uh, Instar 26 528 lenses, which you can get for next to nothing for you know, for uh, LTM. You know, no problem there. But I mean, if you're talking about something that's a little bit, a little bit better lens in 50 millimeters, you know, you're going to pay a little bit more. But that's just the price of admission. I mean, there's no way yeah. around it. You know, so that 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 was my only point was you're you've just got to expect that your budget's going to be a little different depending on what type of system you're looking to get into. I mean, yeah. there's no way anything in native M mount is going to be a budget system. It's just not. Now it might be to someone who can afford to do that stuff. But to me, that's it's it's an out of reach system because budget for anything in that system that's native M mount is it's it's expensive. There's yeah. no way around it, right? So yeah. but I but but again I'm I, I'm gonna stand by what I said in that I, I think a a, a Canon fifty one eight in very usable condition can be found. No, is it gonna be perfect? No, it's also gonna be sixty something years old yeah. and, it is, and so what it's got a few scratches in the front doesn't matter right so yeah. you can you can find those for a hundred dollars or less and you can find as i did i got a a um the the nikor lens i got the the nikkor h uh 50 f2 the sonar lens i got yeah. that with a camera body for 150 dollars and yeah. yeah i think that's budget <laughs> I do, and you can find that lens alone, starting at about 125. And I think that's you know, perfectly reasonable for an LTM lens that is going to perform as well as it does. And you know, when I posted that question about um, budget lenses, Roger actually made a good, good point. And he, he said, uh, "Are you talking about user lenses or yeah. collectors' lenses?" And at the time, I think I made maybe some kind of a smart response to him about collectors' lenses. But I get what he's saying now. Um, yeah, I'm biased yeah. because when I buy lenses, I want them to I want them to be darn near perfect. And one of the reasons is I know that I don't keep lenses real long that I sell them at some point. Right. And right. so um, I don't want them to have flaws. But um, if you're buying lenses and you just want to use them, and 
you don't care about how they look or things that won't affect the image quality, yeah. then it's a, that's a whole different game. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that I think that I really think that is true because if you're going to use it, I, and I, I really agree with you, Carl, because you do buy and sell, and it's it's easier to sell something for probably you'll probably sell most of them for for more than you bought them for because you you get them and they're in good condition, right? And I mean, I even in the business I'm in. Uh, you know, we get we we definitely pay a lot less for lenses that have condition issues. So yeah. the lens is all front element scratched up. It doesn't matter if it's going to be a fine user lens. We're still going to pay less for it because we have to disclose that when we sell it. You know, yeah. so so it it does make a difference. And it, and I yeah. think it's if you're talking user versus collector, and uh, it, I would almost call what you purchase as not really investments, but it's certainly you want to get your money back out of it, right? Yeah, yeah, and, I do. I, I don't yeah. want to, yes, I do. Yeah, at so least, I think at least that, that makes sense. Yeah. So this Vivitar lens that I bought, someone noticed right away when I posted a picture that the hood isn't right. It's um, it's on sideways, <laughs> and so the um, it has a very shallow wide hood, of course, at seventeen millimeters, and um, it has two ex parts that extend out pedals. They're not they don't look like pedals, though they're flat, and they're on the sides instead of on the top and bottom. And um, there's no vignetting, so it's not a problem. So I'm not worried about it. But the, this hood is integral to the lens. In fact, it's, a, it's metal and it extends down with a part that goes underneath the focus ring. So someone might have had the lens apart, mm -hmm. put that thing back on the wrong way, not realizing that they did it. It, it hasn't caused a problem. The only problems I've had is that I have a lot of uh, photos with my foot in the photo. But, um, <laughs> but that's the joy of 17 millimeter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's right. that's part of the that's part of the fun of super wide. You get to be yeah. in your own picture. Yeah, and then, I, and then I guess the last thing is, I've um every once in a while I, I like rediscover how good um, this old ten blade um, auto Takamar 55 1.8 zebra is the one that has the little arming lever on it. Yeah, because the I zebra? used the, the zebra because yeah. I used it yesterday. Yeah, zebra with a Z, a Z, zebra with a Z, because I, I used it yesterday to do some street <laughs> photography, and I just took it out and I set it at f eight, and um, I had the ISO at eight hundred, and it was you know pretty good light outside, so it was a fast shutter speed, and I just walked around and I don't think I've ever had to focus maybe one time, except um, I asked a, a young woman if I could shoot her. her her portrait and then i then i focused and i think i shot that at a four 2.8 but um yeah that was really nice and so then the last thing um well two last things so, so i you know I, I broke my beautiful conica pearl that i bought from a collector in florida by dropping it on the ground a few weeks ago and um i didn't have a strap on it and so johnny had a strap, a central camera, so I bought that, and it's cool, Johnny. I didn't see anything on Facebook with a swivel hand hand grip like this, and um, I was messing around with it last night, and it's perfectly ergon you know, ergonomically to have that on my wrist while I'm shooting the way that I do with that camera. So that's Good. that's going to make that a lot better, and I won't I won't drop and break this one. And the the <laughs> other one is now um, a display camera in Anthony's uh, camera, uh, his um, cafe. In the Volta Cafe. Oh no, kidding! With, with that's some cool. Little, that's a, that's told, a good outcome. Just, I told him just keep it because he has <laughs> old cameras in there, and he sells he sells um, the uh, film. The um, what, what is the film that I tell, that he sells? The um, oh shit, 
Cosmo? Yeah, he sells Cosmo film, and he's going to sell some others pretty soon. But he has old cameras in there, and he has photographers and artists coming in there often. And so he's got that camera sitting up on a shelf now. And then I told yeah. him that just, you know, if I need a part, that I, that's my, my camera for parts. <laughs> if I need a part for this. <laughs> Although I don't, I don't know how I, how I would do it. It's kind of a complicated camera. It's not one where you'd easily swap the lens out or something like that. Um, and then um, what, what else is there? Is there anything else? God, I can't. I don't know. Um, what else did I do this week? I guess that was about it. I'll try the Minox next week and then um, have enough film to send off. And, yeah, that's it for me. That's a lot. Oh, 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 I was one thing. I went over to the dark side this week and gave into an urge that I've had for a long time. I, I really enjoyed it, that, too, That, that has no, no <laughs> like, re- reason behind it. <laughs> Except that I've just like lusted after one of these things, and that is I, I bought I bought a black um, Fuji X100S, and um, so so I, I'm going to have one of those now for shooting street photography. I, I don't know; the camera's like drawn me ever since I've seen it, and the pictures that people take with it are just yeah, amazing. It, and it's not a classic <laughs> camera; it doesn't have a classic lens, but. I, 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 I will personally, I I forgive you, Carl, because I have the same camera, um, and I love it. And it's, I, I, I've said this many times. It, the only, the only camera, I, digital camera, I would ever buy at this point would be a replacement for my X100S because mm-hmm. there are certain times when that camera is just absolutely perfection and. One of the things that I really love about it is, I mean, obviously it's got an optical viewfinder with overlaid, um, you know, frame lines and it is amazing in low light. I mean, it's just amazing. You can just, you don't have to worry about the EVF. You just shoot with the optical finder and you can shoot in the dark, you know, and you've got a frame frame lines and it's, it's fantastic. So I think you'll, I think you'll really enjoy it, uh, Carl. And I, and I know that you like shooting, um, in black and white mode on, yeah. on Fuji. And it's, it's really great at that. Like you can, you can bang out stuff at, you know, 3,200 ISO in black and white. That just looks really great. So yeah, enjoy it. It's a, it's a great camera. I think you'll really like it. Yeah. I shot, I shot images last night, just pictures of a motorcycle with my Fuji with that Pentax, um, auto Togamar lens on it. And, um, I shot it in that Astia mode, you know, that's kind of mm-hmm. like soft. Yeah. And it, and I just posted them all when I got home last night on Facebook. I didn't do anything to them because I thought they looked the way that I wanted them to look. So it's pretty amazing what that camera can do in camera. I, yeah. And uh, I know we've talked about in camera processing before. Oh, and then the X and the X100S has a really sexy looking leather, uh, brown leather case on it too. So added bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know if it's going to stay on it or not, but it's on it right now. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so Johnny, do you want to tell us a few things about what you've been up to? Oh man, I I just have had the longest week, guys. I got to tell you, I'm I, I, around about Thursday. I was like. Is, is it done yet? <laughs> it's, it was a really, really long week for me. Um, and topping it all off uh, yesterday, of course, was um, the St. Patrick's Day celebration in Chicago. Uh, and just a sea of idiots uh, streaming past and through Central Camera 
walking in drunk, looking for a, for a bathroom, um, uh, passing out in front on the, you know, on the, on the, uh, on the sidewalk and, and so forth. So yesterday really just kind of top, topped off a, a, a long and challenging week for me. So I, I feel like I didn't do a ton, but I did shoot a little bit every day. Um, so that, that helped. And I, I did accomplish a couple of things that I've really been looking to do for quite a while. Um, one of which is I have, uh, in the mail actually probably be arriving, uh, on Monday, uh, tomorrow. I have some J lane dry plates for my Roloflex. And so I, I, a little bit of backstory about what, what I'm talking about here. So my, I have what's called a plate film adapter for my, my Roloflex camera. And what essentially it is, it's a, um, you take the, the, the normal back door off of your Roloflex and you put this plate adapter on and there's a, basically a cutout in the back of the door where you can slide in a ground glass for focusing. And then you can slide in, um, plate film holders into that. So essentially what you're doing is you're turning your Roloflex into a, a single sheet of film shooter instead of a roll film shooter. Now, why would you ever want to do that? Well, you can shoot um, odd film stocks that maybe weren't as common, but you you can also shoot uh, glass plates in the camera, which is exactly what I'm going to do. So there's this guy in New Hampshire. Um, uh, the company's called J Lane Dry Plates, and he is making these these plates, which is a, literally a plate of glass with an emul- a photographic emulsion on it, which ISO is about three. Um, and it's orthochromatic. So it, it's, it has that look that you see of the, those old, old pictures where, um, people's eyes look a little funky, that sort of thing. It's because it's, 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 it's sensitive to a different light spectrum than we're used to with panchromatic film, which is what we use now. So anyway, I'm really excited about putting these glass plates in the Roloflex because, um, I, I can just experiment with some things I've wanted to do for quite a while on that camera that I haven't done up till now. So to me, that was a big accomplishment. And also I spoke to, uh, the proprietor of, uh, J lane dry plates. I, and I, I believe that's his name, but I should probably confirm that cause that's just how I know him through, um, through what he does business wise, but he's, he's an optical engineer also. So he's going to be joining us. I think it's fair for me to say at this point, he's game for joining us here on the podcast to talk about uh, what he does as an optical engineer. And then I imagine he will also talk with us about uh, how he got started making dry plates and also his large format work. Cause he is a large format photographer also. Um, so I felt like that was a big accomplishment that I actually finally got after owning this plate back adapter for oh god probably a decade and never having run any actual film through it other than instax film um that i'm finally going to actually uh shoot some some plate film with it which is really cool so to me that was the kind of the highlight of 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 my week um was was more of a f- looking forward future thing that i'm going to do um photography wise rather than uh something i've actually done in the course of the week can you go back? Can you just um, explain to someone who's a total rookie or not even a rookie? I don't know anything about it. Yeah. What's, what, what, tell me about plate film and, and how you would develop it. Well, so, okay. So to go, why, so I guess it, to, to start with, why does plate film exist? So if you think back to, you know, let's say about a, how, how long ago would we go back? 
um, over a hundred years ago. Uh, we're talking the late 1800s. Uh, film, film up to that point, the way you did it was on either um, sensitized metal plates or daguerreotype. So essentially, we're talking about wet plate photography, right? You you would you would literally sensitize a plate and shoot it and develop it immediately. And the development of of glass plates meant that they were they're dry plates, meaning they were pre-sensitized. You could buy them in bulk or make them in bulk, and and you could shoot them, and then you could develop them later instead of literally right there on the spot in the field in a dark room. So it opened up this, all this opportunity for photographers to, you know, to shoot more out outdoors, out, you know, out in nature, whatever, and then develop these things later. So it was really a, a, a big innovation. Um, and, and glass plates remained something that were relatively common probably up until I would say the 1950s or so. Um, but, but uh, roll film and just film in general, meaning, you know, film on a, some sort of a, um, a transparent base, uh, flexible base um, that became more of the standard. And of course, roll film, as we know uh, today, that became more of the standard uh, rather than glass plates. So glass plates were, something that um, kind of disappeared for the most part. Um, but the process is, it's different. I mean, you develop them differently. There, there's some things that's a little, that are a little bit different about glass plates that make that process unique. So um, I, I just felt like it was a, a process I always wanted to experiment with, uh, especially because it just, you know, it opens up a lot of opportunities for me for, um, how I might want to make prints from those glass plates and so forth. So um, I guess, it, it, I don't know if that helps Carl, but that that's to sort of explain what okay. plates, yeah, plates are. Yeah. yeah does that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. So Johnny, um, when uh, you were also on negative positives actually twice. That's and, true. Um, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I, I really like that podcast. And um, so like, were you on drugs or what? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's put this into context. First of all, I kind of forgot about that for a couple of reasons. One of which is, um, it was actually recorded last what Sunday night. Um, so I believe you're talking about the midweek episode that that came out. Carl, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the midweek episode of Negative Positives podcast was actually recorded Sunday night after the first uh, one was recorded. So it was a rather long session, and let's not forget that that we recorded two episodes of the classic lenses podcast that morning. So I, I, I spent most of my waking day last Saturday or last uh, Sunday uh, on, on doing podcasts. Um, and uh, you know, there was of course the lost podcast we did and then the follow on re-record podcast and then negative positives part one and then negative positives part two, which I think ended at nearly 2 a.m. Um, so it was a little late uh, by the time that we finished up. I may have been a little bit tired. I may have been um, enjoying some adult beverages over the course of the day, um, starting rather early as we had to do two sessions of the Classic Lenses podcast. And I said, oh, screw it. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh so yeah it was it was a it was a it was a rather uh long day and i and some of which i don't entirely remember um so i 
I, I don't know, Carl, if you were, were referring to anything specifically that may have been said on that podcast. I forgot about it already. It's out of my mind. Oh, it's out of your mind, huh? Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember, yeah. I remember some of it. <laughs> yeah, you remember it too. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, because you went out and got drunk with a, a <laughs> new BFF, and and that brought back the memories, or what? I, I think I think we may have to come on to that one, but uh, okay. But with um, with uh, uh, John Johnny's appearance, he um, he certainly expressed um, a lot of love for you, uh, Carl. <laughs> I was, I of course, speaking metaphorically, yeah, yeah, um, metaphor- not about actual penetration. <laughs> yeah. It was metaphorical penetration, Carl. Okay. You, 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 you would know if I penetrated you for real. Then so. it's if you bleeped out. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So anyway, the world knows, Carl, that I am a really big fan mm-hmm. of Carl Havens. And oh, I am yeah. proud of that. Mm-hmm. I am proud of that because it is true. We're all fans of each other. We're just yeah, absolutely. Guys. Well, I'm yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fan yeah. of yours as well, Carl, but not quite as much as, as Johnny is. <laughs> he, he will ta- he will take things to a whole different level than I ever would. So Johnny takes everything to a whole different level. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I, th- I think that the takeaway there is um, uh, Johnny appeared twice uh, on the <laughs> Negative Positives uh, Film Photography podcast. Um, in, uh, <laughs> hey, yeah. good gutterman. Yeah. And um, and I, I've I've listened to them both, and uh, yeah, there is a there is a steady decline in quality as the, uh, <laughs> as, the as, as both episodes go on. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, the, 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 the second one, even even having said that, it's uh, it's well worth listening to the second episode as well. So uh, yeah, I. I, I I thought it was very funny. It was very insightful, um, and you know, on the on the serious note, there was there were some very serious uh, subjects that you spoke about in there. And I, and a little I, bit, yeah. Yeah, and it was um, it's very interesting to to hear your take on um, on the on a project that um, you you've, I think you did it at the end. Was it the back end of the year? Was it um, when you? I mean, you might. I don't know if you want to talk about that now or. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can talk about it. But yeah, it was actually the the actually it was the very uh, yeah it was the back end of the back end of uh, last year and the very early start of this year. Um, uh, yes, um, and I, uh, I guess I where do I even go with that? I mean, you you can if you visit my Instagram feed, you will see what I'm talking about. I I had. Um, a unique experience. Well, not unique because I've actually had this experience sort of previously, but I had a, what would be the best word to say? I had a privilege of uh, photographing um, a, uh, a woman in, in the last hours of her life and the last days of her life uh, who was 103 years old. And she was an amazing woman. And I, um, someone who, who trusted me a great deal, um, I said that I'd really like to to photograph her, and I had photographed her about a month previous to that to that time, um, and then photographed her again, literally in the last hours of her life. And um, I was really privileged to be trusted to do that. And um, the the photographs it meant a lot to me to experience that and to, to also to photograph it. Um, I had been through this with my mom when she passed away, um, and it was a really powerful experience for me then and something I'd, I'd wanted to do again, but it's not like you can just kind of go up to people and say, Hey, can I photograph your dying, you know, relative? So, um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, 
I mean, it's it's one of those things we we I guess we don't experience that frequently in in life in general, nor do we necessarily photograph it. But I I don't really experience things any other way than by photographing them. So for me, it it meant a lot to be able to do that. Um, and yeah, I guess that's maybe all I want to say detail wise about it right now. I do talk about it um, in my Instagram feed, and I have more uh, on this topic that. Um, will be shared there on Instagram. And I have some other things that are kind of in the planning stages, you know, somewhat related to that experience. So, yeah. 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 And, and, I, and I, I think, yeah, there's, I don't particularly want to go in, into that any, any further for you anyway, but as much as yeah. um, Mike and Andre did, uh, uh, did the subject uh, justice? So I think that uh, it, that's that's well well worth sticking through. Uh, some of the things that are said in uh, episode two <laughs> of your, your appearance there, just to uh, just to hear that. So that was um, I think oh, Mike thanks, and Andrew did, did a great job there. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, any any more things that you've been up to last week? Um. Uh, no, I mean I just I'm just working on you know, getting through some rolls of film in various cameras. Um, I did, I could do a shout out right now. This is as good a time as I need to do it. I, I, I talked to, uh, last week to Rob Jameson. Um, uh, and it's a good day for Jameson, isn't it? Uh, and, and so Rob came in and he mentioned that he had, um, an interest in, in panoramic photography, um, and that he likes to shoot in that format. And he, he was interested in the conversation we had about my Pentax um, uh, ZX5. And lo and behold, we had that camera at Central, at Central Camera. So he picked up a Pentax ZX5 with uh, a 5N, actually. Um, and we also happen to have a Pentax DA 40mm 2.8 uh, Limited. Now, if you haven't seen this lens... It is a super duper pancake, <laughs> pancake lens. Which, um, to be honest, you it's really intended more for uh, Pentax digital in that it does not have um, a method to control the aperture. If you're using it on an older K-mount camera, um, it will focus on any Pentax autofocus camera. But you'll you'll need um, a Pentax camera with the ability to control the aperture you know, from the camera body. But as it turns out, um, a 40 millimeter wide open 2.8 lens that will still focus at 2.8 is pretty darn useful still uh, on a Pentax uh, ZX5N if you're planning to shoot panoramas. It just means you're going to be shooting wide open all the time, but it's 40 millimeters and it looks pretty good. And it's a modern, it's a more modern lens, so it's sharp even uh, sort of wide open. Um, and technically this lens is meant for uh, crop uh, digital DSLR, but as it turns out, again, if you're going to use it on um, full frame, there's really no um, issue, especially in panoramic mode with any kind of vignetting because you would only get that in the corners. Um, but as it turns out, it really doesn't vignette at all, um, even on full frame. So he 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 basically walked out. James and really uh, Rob walked out with a really kind of unique setup. And I mean, his plan is to get you know something like the the 17 millimeter lens we've been talking about or something else, you know, kind of wider, maybe in the 20 millimeter range. I don't think he wanted to go quite as wide as 17, but something more like a 20 millimeter. Um, there's a really great uh, Pentax K uh, 20 millimeter lighter lens that's 
damn near pancake small. I mean, it's a compact nice little lens. Um, I believe it's a 20 millimeter f4. Maybe you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but um, so anyway, there, there's that lens available, which is really good, and 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 there's just a lot of really good Pentax K stuff available. Um, kind of in that wider, you know, 24 and wider range. So he walked out with a unique package of stuff. I actually got a couple of pictures with him, uh, of him with this camera, which are yet to be developed. Um, and he got, took a couple of pictures of me. So it was, it was fun. It was a, it was a really great conversation and, and we chatted about that stuff for a while. So that was, that was definitely one of the highlights of my week too. Um, cool. yeah, yeah. So it was a lot of fun. And so, oh, I wanted to ask you one thing. Yeah. Um, so on SLR cameras at F8, all lenses are equally good. And so <laughs> if that's less, true, so, so if that's true, why is your um, pen F1.2 lens so freaking wonderful at F8 compared to other LTM lenses? Uh, the the pen F42 <laughs> millimeter 1.2 half frame lens you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. You just love this. You just love this one, Carl. You just love this. You, you love this one. I can't okay. let it go. All right. So let me explain, Carl, why this lens is so special. Okay. <laughs> First of all, we're talking about the Pen F half frame uh, SLR system, and there is a lens made for that system. It's the forty millimeter. Sorry, forty-two millimeter one point two lens, um, which wide open is soft as a pillow. Um, and it, it improves greatly as you, as you begin to stop it down. Um, but, um, the thing that I found to be really unique about that lens was the color rendering is really gorgeous on that lens. And it is extremely well corrected because it was meant to be the flagship, you know, lens, the, 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 the primo lens of that system. So as you stop it down now, this is in contrast to, let me just say the 40 millimeter 1.4 pen f lens which by the time you're at f2 and certainly by 2.8 it's literally sharp across the frame it's an yeah. it's an it's an astounding lens um it really is and the 42 millimeter is a different formula okay so it sharp it doesn't sharpen up as fast as the 40 um it gets sharper as a lot of lenses do as you get into like 5.6 and f8 so at 5.6 and f8 because this lens is so well corrected um, the rendering is really special as you stop it down. So that's not to say the 40 isn't going to be really good stop down, but I think the sweet spot on the, on the 41.4, you could say is probably, you know, probably F4, 2.8 to F4. Whereas on the 42, it's really the more traditional, you know, for a normal focal length lens, um, in the 5.6 to F8 to F11 range. Okay, that's cool. No, I just, so, um, some people may not have heard that earlier episode or know what you're talking about, but I mean, the bottom line is, if you want a $500 lens that's really good at f/8, this is the one. Yep, and I got two of them. Read it, weep. So there you go. <laughs> okay. And no, they are not sharp wide open. Sorry, <laughs> they just aren't. <laughs> but but they still look good. They still look good. I will I will say it's. I've shot it on. I've shot that lens on digital, and it 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 still looks good even wide open. It's just a very unique rendering. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's. I mean. <laughs> Having uh, discovered why you should spend so much money on a lens that's only good at F eight, uh, let's um, let, let's 
talk about uh, my day yesterday. Uh, was, oh, was, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah, it was, um, I was at the, uh, the photography show in Birmingham in the UK uh, yesterday, and I was there as part of the uh, mega analogue uh, photography meetup, which was organised by the Sunday 16 podcast and the Hamish Gill of 35 MMC. Um, and I'm just going to say, I had, I had a really, really good day. Um, and the turnout was enormous. I mean, we were, I was talking to Graham beforehand about, you know, how we're going to organise things uh, because the, there was the potential that 30 people might turn up and actually more than 30 people turn up. I think it was closer to 40 in the end. And uh, well. you, if you can imagine taking up to 40 people around a really really busy trade show um and going visiting stands that was never really going to be an easy thing to do um so we we, we decided to uh, split things into groups and um so we uh we decided that at the end yeah i'll do a group uh, with andrew bartram my uh, co-host of the large format photography podcast um so we decided to split into two groups and then Graham like shouted okay anybody that wants to come with me and Sunny 16 come over to that side of the room and if you and anybody wants to go with Simon and classic lenses go over to the other side of the room and uh, <laughs> there was hardly anybody on my side of the room <laughs> <laughs> so they all they all wanted to go with Sunny 16 which is fair enough it was it was their gig um, and it was all it was a it was an analog thing anyway so um although we're pretty analog ourselves but uh, anyway so um, the the we, we we split up and, and went out in, into the show and uh, I, to be fair I was quite pleased that we didn't have a huge group because there's just so little um, space uh, to go around there but uh, yeah so we 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 had a walk around and um, I think the first place we went to was the Intrepid uh, Intrepid Camera Company um, a UK relatively young company uh, making large format cameras and uh, and we we wandered around and we did. Uh, yeah, several of the stands and uh, eventually we, we met up at lunchtime and uh, Andy Church on Kodak Alaris uh, gave us a gave us a talk about uh, where where Kodak is and where Alaris is and, and uh, uh, because of course we anybody that's been paying attention to Kodak Alaris in particular that, which is a separate company from Kodak uh, it was a it was a company that was spun off from Kodak uh, when they went into bankruptcy in the States and uh, so Kodak Kolaris is, is up for sale at the moment and, uh, and I believe some, there are parties interested in buying them and so there's that, this little bit of doubt over well, what's actually going on with, with, with Kodak and are they going to continue to uh, distribute film and so on and so on and uh, I think the main, the main takeaway from what um, Andy Church was saying was he's not worried about the future so we shouldn't be worried about the future so that was, uh, that was, that was a good thing to take away um but other other things that happened there um the first thing was uh, and this isn't really a classic lenses thing but i was i was shooting a course with an aps camera uh which is um the advanced photo system uh type of film which is better than normal film because it's advanced um uh, although there appear to be in sort of a minority those those of us that were there with advanced photo system cameras was it was pretty much just myself and stig of the dump uh, <laughs> and I, actually i've got to say stig actually brought two um two cameras with him 
and the first camera that he put some film into he, he loaded it up it, it then spooled off all the way down down the roll to the uh, to the end because the idea is it, it unfills all all the roll of film and as you take a shot it it uh, then sends it back into the canister um so he, he he went to try and take a photograph of myself and andrew bartra i think it was andrew who was with me at the time um he then pressed the button nothing happened and then he put the started to put the camera down and then the flash went off as he was like pointing towards the ground so um, advanced it's simple yeah and and at that point then he decided he'd had enough and wound the rest of the film back <laughs> so, <laughs> truly advanced a one shot APS that's great that's really great of a, yeah. a, a well exposed out of focus picture of the floor um, <laughs> um, but uh, Stig wasn't to be put off by that because he also had a, um, a um, an Alta Vectis SLR uh, camera oh, um, oh yes and uh, which yeah. I, I don't know when I was listening to this I'm not sure if it was homemade camera podcast or or another one but um they were talking about the demise of um of minolta as a company um yeah. i don't know if this is is this familiar with you uh, johnny about the demise it is of, a bit yes yeah, yes it is I, i'm not sure where i got this information from but apparently um when APS came out, Minolta really jumped on board in a huge way. It might have been Sunday 16, I don't know. Um, but they, Minolta jumped on board APS in a really, really big way. And they put huge resources into it, uh, producing various Vectis cameras of uh, various descriptions and some of them SLRs and so on. And when APS, uh, well, when the, when the public didn't realise that APS was the greatest thing ever um, and they decided not to buy it, um, it left Minolta in a really bad way, and uh, and that ultimately let let left the door open for Konica. I don't know if Konica bailed them out or just bought them at a cheap price. I don't know, but uh, it appears that APS was uh, was was the end of Konica, uh, which is a, yeah. a shame. So so Andre Dominguez did mention that he did allude to that story um, on Negative Positives uh, podcast when I was on with them, um, and of course, uh, Mr. Gutterman. Um, is is now the proud owner of of three complete Vectis camera systems that that I sent him from Central Camera. I sent him three cameras with three lenses and three uh, three speed lights, all for the Vectis system. So, um, so yes, that Vectis did did come up on uh, my appearance on uh, Negative Podcast, Meg uh, Negative Positives uh, Podcast, also. So, so, no, no, so I saw that I saw that. Um Hamish had a, a stand with his um, pixelator, and so you, you can buy those now. Uh, well, yeah, he, he has got it. Well, what he had is um, a pre-production version of the pixelator, um, uh -huh. so uh, it, it wasn't the, um, the the full one. And the main issue with it at the moment is, as we would say, is uh, it's it's white. It's just the wrong color. Um, but it's uh, it, it was there, and it's uh, the production is going to get going soon I, I didn't actually chat to him too much about that actually so uh perhaps I've oh, that's great opportunity there so yeah um, you can tell i'm not a journalist now can't you um but <laughs> uh, but uh, no it, it it looks good it looks you could see that things had happened to it since the um the the prototype version that uh, i i oh. had which he describes as crap um so uh, <laughs> so um if that if that was crap then this new one obviously isn't crap so that's really good news because we we don't want it to be crap um, that's good I'd, I'd like to i'd like to have one of those for um 120 film yeah well i'm 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 in particular looking forward to using it for four by five 
Um, yeah. that's, that's that's where I really want to play with it. But uh, but interesting enough, actually, he did have a he had this little stand and uh, and he was uh, promoting the Pixelator, but he was also selling some Seven Artisan lens as well from there, and mm -hmm. uh, that gave me the first chance to actually pick up um the 28 millimeter f1.4 camera uh, by seven artisans lens by mm -hmm. seven artisans and that was that that felt rather nice i mean it's a big lens i mean yep. i mean I, I suppose whenever we talk about 28 millimeters after the after last week's show uh this that's usually prefaced by uh we don't like 28 millimeters and why do we bother talking about them but uh this this was really nice um okay. And it's big. big, big, big and heavy. How does it compare to the 55 1.1? The 50 1.1. 1. 1, yeah, 1. yeah, well, 1. it's 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 longer uh, than, than that oh. lens. Oh. Um, weight wise, probably quite quite similar. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's I've ne you've never seen a 28 millimeter lens like it. It just doesn't. You know, if if you took a look at it, you'd think it was like maybe like a a, a 90 millimeter LTM lens. Uh, a relatively relatively fast uh, LTM ninety. That's that's the kind of look that it has. Yeah. Uh, actually, while it was there as well, somebody um, had. Uh, I'm afraid somebody. I wasn't sure who, who who it was. So apologies there if you ever get around to listening. Uh, but there was a uh, a tech art adapter on a Sony, and mm -hmm. um, several lenses were being tried with that, uh, including the uh, a fifty one point one, and that was that was quite impressive actually. Um, hmm. I mean, I don't think I would, I, I say I don't think, I, I know that I'd still prefer to use autofocus, but I think it's, it was nice to be able to see a manual focus lens that some people may have difficulty in doing manual focus, or if you're shooting people and shooting with manual focus, and especially when you're shooting wide open is, is always difficult, um, until you've, you know, if you've got a lot of experience and you're well practiced, then fine. But I think for the most humans, um, it's, it's a pretty difficult task. So having that uh, ability to quickly focus and it was pretty pretty quick um i was i was quite impressed with that it was um it was a, a good piece of kit so uh enjoyed uh, uh going on the it was on the patterson stand actually it was that's where that's where he was he was on so the the people who do the developing tanks and things like that that he'd uh, piggyback some space because he'd part he's partnered with patterson to actually make the pixelator yeah so, uh, so yeah so so that was all good um I think I've already covered that. I've met my uh, podcast. Uh, he calls me his podcast wife uh, for some reason. <laughs> and, and, and Andrew Bartram. Um, so I met my <laughs> podcast husband, uh, uh, which, which, which is always good. Um, and, um, and I think they, I've got to say that, that the highlight of my day and um, the highlight of my day started very, at the start of my day and appeared to go all the way through to the end. Uh, and that was meeting Jeremy North. Um, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, he who uh, is, I think, he's written in a couple of times to our podcast. But he's uh, anybody that yeah. listens to uh, the Sunday Sixteen podcast and uh, um, Negative Positives um, Film Photography podcast or their Facebook would be familiar with Jeremy North. Uh, it was uh, Jer <laughs> Jeremy. Um, what should we say? Um, he has opinions. He has a reputation, doesn't he? He does have a reputation, and he <laughs> yes, yes, uh, and and it's it's based upon his his opinions, um, and perhaps the way that he puts those opinions across. 
<laughs> and yeah, because he, he doesn't mess about. He takes no prisoners, does Jeremy. He just gets to it and uh, says his point, and uh, and then he will defend his point as well. Um, yeah, good for him. Good for no, him. I, you know, and I will say, and you're, I think you're about to say this as well, uh, uh, Simon. I I have read some some of his comments, and I guess I understand why some people think he's uh, meaning them to be I don't know bad natured or I don't I don't know because I read him and I'm like oh he's just he's just making a I, I I don't read anything into comments that he's really made that they're in any way sort of negative, but I guess some people it's the internet you know people read different things into people's tone and I, but I've never thought thought of him that way to be quite honest. Well, I, th- I think, and sometimes it can be it can be a cultural thing. Yeah, um, that, that right. some some things don't, <laughs> don't always translate, especially in, in into the states. But you know, I've I've right. I've I've got to say, I've I've actually fallen out with uh, not fallen out with him. I've I've um, on there was there was something that was said a few weeks ago on Twitter about something that happened on Sunday 16 I was I wasn't particularly happy with uh, what 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 Jeremy had said so I, but the point is I'm I'm I made my comment he he made his back and that was pretty much the end of it I understood where he was coming from I just didn't think it was required I think it's perhaps the best 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 way of putting it um, but the cultural thing is is a good point I mean for you know someone might say that photograph is a piece of shit but you know maybe that's just a cultural thing <laughs> now, well, well, that's, that's, that's something. I mean, Jer- Jeremy has actually said similar things like that, um, or, or words to that effect. And actually, it's, it's been gone over on the, the sort of sixteen podcast at length. Actually, where the, there was uh, Jeremy criticised some work by Anal Mystery, um, and people got a little bit wound up by that that criticism. Except the they didn't realise, or they f- chose not to. Uh, uh, taken into consideration that An- Anul actually asked Jeremy for some constructive feedback, and he gave it to him. <laughs> you know, and, uh, it was, you know, and it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was very, it was very direct. Uh, but at the end of the day, if, if you ask for uh, feedback and you potentially know it's going to be somebody that is, is could well say something negative, so you know, if you if you ask for it, you're going to get it, and. Uh, and to to be fair to Anil as well, he he took it in the way that it was it was meant. I think it was everybody else around him, um, because you know, we all love Anil, and I think people um, are very happy. Well, not happy. I think people want to jump to his defence. I'll tell you what, if you um, if you have any question about the quality of Anil's photography skills, buy his book that he did in that pub, and you won't have any question anymore. It's phenomenal. The guy is an oh, amazing yeah. photographer. Just yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, he is. Um, but I mean, just, just to be specific, um, I mean, this is uh, the book that uh, when we had Anna on first with the, the uh, Goodbye Sweetheart, um, that was that was very well received by uh, by by Jeremy to the point where I think he bought copies of it and sent copies to 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 friends. Um, yeah. And he was really looking forward to the to the second book, which is about monochrome. Um, and that didn't. It was a very different style in in that book, and, mm-hmm. and I think that it certainly divided people's uh, opinion. And uh, yet, yeah, the, the the book they did of the of people in the pub, very different style again, and yep. um, and probably a, a style that was more uh, acceptable to more people, if you if you like. Mm-hmm. But uh, but no, the 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 main takeaway though for for me with uh, with, with Jeremy was just just. 
uh, it, was a, it was a really fun guy to actually be with. And uh, I mean, apart from the fact he'd actually turned up with a load of gear and he was he was giving it away to people. I mean, he gave away a speed graphic uh, while, well. he, while he was there because he, he, it's something that he's not using. He doesn't really want. And uh, I guess he doesn't like selling things on eBay. So he decided to actually give it away um, to somebody that's going to well. um, uh, use the thing. You know, so uh, dang, I'm looking for one of those myself right now. That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, so the so there was there was that, and um, and I I spent a fair bit of time with Jeremy just just walking around, and uh, and then ended up with Jeremy in the evening because I, I trained. We were going back on on effectively the same train for part of part of the journey, so we stayed together. And there was a a meet up at the end of the uh, end of the day, um, sort of like the second part of the analog meet up, and uh, the Sunday Sixteen crew uh, were doing um, mini. Uh, Vox Pops or whatever you call them. I don't know if you call them over there, but, uh, but like many, many interviews uh, for for a show that's coming up. I don't know if it's, if it's going on to back in paper tonight or whether they all save it to uh, Thursday's show. Um, but I've been uh, been sitting with uh, with with um, uh, with Jeremy um, at the pub, and uh, you know, and he he very kindly bought me a drink. I bought him a drink back, and then. He bought me another drink, and then he bought me another drink. Um, um, more importantly, the, uh, the the final drink he bought me a gin and tonic, and I'd already had a gin and tonic before. And the, the, oh, the, the, I like where this is going. Yeah, well, well, well the, 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 the the final gin and tonic that he brought me, um, it, 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 you pour your own tonic in, so the, that that was there in its own bottle, and. I started pouring the, the the tonic in, and I realised I couldn't actually fit the rest of my tonic water in there. Which I was like, "What's what's what's happening here?" <laughs> you know, I don't understand. And, and Jeremy goes, "It's a double," <laughs> you know. So um, so yeah, so a combination of a long day, very min minimal food, and then it all seemed to go a little bit fuzzy after that point. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and immediately after that point, um, uh, I was called over. I was summoned for my interview uh, with uh, with um, with Graham and uh, Rachel, and uh, I decided that I had to take my new bestest friend of the world, um, uh, Jeremy, over with me. And it, after that point, it was all a little bit of a blur, other than I can remember uh, Graham taking the microphone away from me and not wanting to talk to me again for apparently something I said. So. <laughs> So we'll, yeah. we'll we'll find out a bit more about that later on this week, no doubt. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's fantastic! Well, very good. That's that's. It sounds like you had a really great time uh, at, at at the show there, uh, Simon. It was great. It, it was fantastic, and and oh, I've met so many people, and I've I've not I've hardly spoken about any of them. Um, so um, sorry about that, um, but. It's it, there was just there was almost too much there to to, to go through. Um, anyway, on let's let's move things on a little bit now. And I did you get the e emails, Johnny? I sent them over. Oh, I you. did. Yes, oh, I good. did. L good. Let me navigate back there to uh, to that uh, from what I was doing just now, which um, I was <laughs> I I was uh, just looking up some information about my new uh, fr. Uh, developing tank that I bought for developing uh, large format film. So I was doing that in the background here while you were talking, Simon, um, which I can talk more about that a bit later, if you like, since it does touch on your new favorite subject, which is large format. Um, but let me go over, navigate over to the email. Let's take the first one from uh, Jamie Bloomquist. Um, uh, subject, classic lens 
film camera pairing. Uh, great show, guys. Um, are some classic lenses better suited for certain digital camera brands? Uh, th- is this due to mount and flange distance? Or is there any truth to certain lens brands slash models performing better on certain digital camera brands? Example, Sony A7 two and Canon FD lenses question mark in episode 58, uh, Perry mentioned pairing, uh, Portra film, uh, with some lenses. Do you intentionally pair certain film types with specific lenses when shooting film? Uh, if yes, for digital or film, what have you experienced? Thank you, Jamie Bloomquist. Hmm. Should, well. we, should we do the, the film one first, Johnny? Because you, 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 you're the only one with any experience on, on that one, especially with Portra. <laughs> um, yeah, so sec- second part first. Hmm. Um, so uh, pairing certain, p- pairing Portra film in particular with certain lenses. Um, eh, there, there may be some truth to that. Um, I mean, some some lenses tend to have a, a certain, um, I, w- I don't know, I guess you would say uh, warmth or coolness to them. Um, some Some render... You know, warmer than others or cooler than others. So I think that 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 may be true. Um, I, I I think it's going to really come down to particular personal taste. I don't think there's any one correct answer, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, that I could I would say that's probably true. There are going to be certain color films that you know look better with certain lenses. Um, I mean, one one that I like, of course, is I have my my Petri Greenomatic. Uh, 1.9 CCS, which has a color corrected super lens. It says right there in the front of the camera, color corrected super. And I find that that, um, that lens definitely has a unique color rendering, uh, with pretty much any film. So, I mean, there are definitely variations. Oh, I was just playing with my Petri green Um, so there are definitely variations in how different lenses will render with different films. And certainly I'd say that's true with classic lenses where, you know, if you think about it, um, you know, the lenses were originally uncoated and then, you know, they started to coat lenses and then films advanced and coatings advanced. So there, there's definitely some dif- differences to be found among, you know, different lenses uh, as we go back in time. I, I heard something yesterday and I overheard a conversation and uh, where somebody with, had a, a Leica camera. Um, actually, mm-hmm. it was Jimmy Hickford. Um, had a uh, an M2, and uh, we we'd actually just sat down at a table, and uh, Andrew Bartram was was with us. And we uh, this this table we sat down at. There was a um, another guy there as well who wasn't with our group, and he was just like looking over at the the three of us with our our film cameras, looking increasingly puzzled. <laughs> Thinking why? Why are you bothering with that kind of stuff? And, the, and he actually, in the end, he actually asked us a, a question on those lines. And this guy was an ex-film photographer, um, ah. and we know what they're like. And, oh yes, uh, yeah. Um, so he asked. <laughs> so he asked that question: Why do you bother? Um, or words to that effect. But, um, but and we 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 said the usual things. Um, but one thing he actually said to to, to Jimmy was. Um, I think he said this, uh, or somebody did, and that was uh, so. I take it you you shoot Tri-X in that because that's what Leica owners use. That's what they gravitate to. Is that, I mean, have you have you heard that one before? Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard that one before. That's the that's sort of the the classic look, the classic Leica look. I think um, is you know, Tri-X does go go nicely with Leicas. Ten, tends to be the case. I I would say yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. 
So is 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 there something about like lenses and triex in particular, or is it just a case of there weren't that many films around that have continued well, over time, and therefore people have just gravitated to that because it, they know what you're going to uh, get? I think it was maybe more a style of shooting. Um, I, th I think the the I, I think the the thought about what Leica meant back back in the day, or the let's call it the identity of that brand, um, comes from this idea of. Uh, like reportage photography and being out on the street and and doing journalistic or quasi journalistic things um, with with like a cameras and you know being out in the real world and you know Triax certainly lends itself to that. It's a fast film. Was certainly a very fast film uh, back in the day. Um, it has a gritty a gritty look to it. Um, I think you could say that's a fair way to to describe it. So I think it's a whole ethos of you know mm. the like a look sort of right the mystique of of that sort of shooting. Um, going back to the fact that that journalists and and so forth um, you know used like a cameras and you know dentists who wanted to think of themselves as <laughs> gritty journalists street type photographers would get their Leica and 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 put some triax in it. And get out there and experience the real world outside of dentistry. So, um, so I, I think it's a whole, you know, it's part of the whole mystique of of Leica that it, it, that style of shooting is, I think, very much defined by the look of Triax to some degree. Right, right. Um, yeah. Carl, Carl, I think you were you were going to chip in in there. Uh, maybe maybe about the the first part. I don't know. No, I didn't have anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, um, well, I'm sure you've got opinions on uh, brands of uh, lenses that uh, work particularly well on certain cameras. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I usually use rangefinder lenses on my XE2, and I usually use SLR lenses on my Sony. But um, and now, and why is that? But it's just a matter of size and what I'm trying to do. I'm, it's because I'm using one for street photography and the other I'm not. And um, but I don't know that there's necessarily you know better quality. Um, my Nikkor lenses all are fantastic on my Fuji. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I like certain lenses and I don't like others, but I don't know about the pairing with cameras part. Mm, I can I can remember you saying in the, in the past when you've when you've used you you just seem to gravitate to using the Nikon lenses with the, with with your Sony. I mean I'm not necessarily talking about LTM versus SLR lenses. Um, well, that was with the Fuji. I, I I had said that I thought Nikon lenses were I'm going to say Nikon because you're saying it were were perfect <laughs> lenses on the on the Fuji, and I I think that's true. Um, but so is the uh, Olympus Pen. 41.4 perfect on that camera yeah so it was a helios 103 um on my sony um i much prefer this um ltm canon 51.4 that johnny sold me which the, but to, you the, would the, the nikon yeah but it, i mean in fairness that lens is sort of the size and feel more of an slr lens though you know what i mean yeah it's just right on this camera and then the other yeah. lens that's on here probably more than any other lens is the 24 2.8 Nikon, yeah. um, that's a perfect lens on this camera also. Hmm. But I don't, but I don't know if it has anything to do with the pairing of with this camera. If I stuck it on a 
you know, the new Nikon Z7 or the, you know, some other camera would probably be a really good lens too. Mm. I mean, I've, I've, and we've, I've talked about this on, on many occasions. There have been certain lenses that seem to perform better on, yeah. on one system than another. Um, so I think the, my first part I would, in answering that, I would, I would say that I, I don't personally think that any SLR lens is any better on one type of sensor over, over another. Um, specifically, that's, that's, that's my limited experience of full frame lenses, actually, uh, cameras, uh, because I've only really used the, uh, uh, the, the, the Sony A7. Um, but I've certainly experienced some cameras, some lenses that I find work better on Micro Four Thirds, or do particularly good on uh, on on crop sensors and things like that. But that's largely to do with, um, I guess, center sharpness uh, becomes more important on crop, um, mm -hmm. or it becomes more prevalent on on crop because you want to use in the center part of a, an image. So you can think, well, this lens is amazing on Micro Four Thirds because it's really really sharp. Um, and then when you drop it onto full frame, it doesn't seem to have the same impact uh, or relative sharpness. And that's because you know, the, the actual truly sharp area of the lens is, is, is not dominating the photograph in the way that it would do on a, on a smaller sensor. Yeah. yeah. And then sure. the other physical issues is when you get those lenses, such as many of the LTM lenses, especially the wider ones that sit much closer to the sensor. And we, as we know, um, digital sensors are, are, don't particularly like to have light coming at them from an angle. They like them to be hit at 90 degrees if possible. Um, and then Sony's make life worse uh, by having this thick um piece of uh, mm -hmm. clear protection in front of the sensor which uh, makes it even harder for those those light rays to to reach the corners of the sensor hence why you get smudged edges with a lens mm -hmm. like a jupiter 12 um but other sensors uh, are, are, are becoming available such as the uh, the ones on the new nikon uh, cameras which uh, according to ken rockwell are um, producing much better uh, quality of images in in the edges. I've not actually yeah. we've hardly seen. Yeah, we, that's like one opinion that we've read, and you know, it's it's an opinion that's worth listening to. Um, but I'd I'd still want to see. You know, normal users, so to speak, in our Facebook group, Photography with Classic Lenses, I really want to see more of those people using these uh, these LTM, wide LTM lenses, just to see other examples of, uh, of um, better uh, edge image quality. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I would, for my part, I would say the lenses that I ended up using the most on my on my Fuji um, XE2 were definitely rangefinder lenses and pen ft pen f you know uh slr lenses i mean in part because they're small um and they just fit the camera better but also directly to what you just said simon is that the fuji doesn't have that uh, AA anti-aliasing filter in front of the sensor so it really doesn't mind um lenses sitting closer it's also lenses also sit a little bit more than a millimeter closer on the on the fuji to the sensor and the fuji lenses were designed with a you know a wider throat and and the designed to, to sit closer and so they they just i think they seem to play i think rangefinder lenses seem to play better with the with the fuji um yep. you know so I, so yeah i mean I, I think i think to me that was became the ideal pairing and i didn't really shoot much else you know on the fuji 
other than rangefinder lenses and uh, Pen F lenses. So. I, I, I take I take what you're saying there, and, and I, I I agree that they they work very well, but I I, I think it's spurious um, to suggest that there's something better or different or special about the actual uh, sensor itself. Whereas because the problems that uh, that people are getting with with Sony sensors is it's not in the center of the of the image. It's right. Around, it's around the edges, yeah. and of course sure. the a Fuji APS-C sensor. Um, is smaller and those those areas where sure. the aberrations mm -hmm. are occurring there just isn't a sensor there to actually collect the problems no sure no that's that that that's true and but i mean i you know i think that you know APS-C lenses which are what the pen f lenses are were designed to, to fill that same sensor size yeah right that that you see on the fuji so no i, I think you're i think you're right i mean part of it is a larger sensor and that those issues do are going to show up at the, at the edges, you know, but I mean, I, there, it is just also true that there's no AA filter on the, over the Fuji sensor. And I don't think it, I don't think it, it mines the angle of light quite so much, you know, it's just not, not really as much of an issue, but it's, 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 yeah. it's kind of both things, you know, yeah. I think definitely one of the things that enters into answering that question is, is um, size and how the camera feels in your hand with the lens and balance. Yeah. And, um, and and how much space you have so when i travel i don't have a lot of space to carry gear so i take my xe2 and if i take ltm lenses i can put four lenses in the bag with it and when they're on the camera they're balanced nice they, they just feel right and uh, the images are really good but um i suppose if i had a place to carry big heavy slr lenses the images would be fine too but um they wouldn't feel the same in my hand and um, so, I mean, there's those other things too, besides image quality. Mm -hmm. I think it's also worth just just mentioning um, that it, this this phenomena with uh, Sony A7 uh, sensors um, it appears that that issue doesn't uh, happen with the A7S um, sensor. Uh, that seems ah. that seems to perform much better. Uh, with, um, with with LTM lenses, these wide LTM lenses and, and the others. I'm not sure if that applies to the A7S um, Mark II, but certainly the A7S uh, handles uh, those those wider lenses better than the than the the normal uh, A7 or the A7R. Mm -hmm. Ah, uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shall we move on to our uh, our second and uh, last? Uh, email that we're going to cover this week sure sure let's uh let me navigate over to that one uh this uh this e email is from oh boy oh boy a lot of consonants in this name here <laughs> uh i'm gonna spell it because i'm really not sure how to pronounce it so um this email is from first name r-a-t-b second name RJB. Uh, it, uh, if, you, no, if, you, if you scroll down to the bottom, you actually, I think that's just a shortened version there. It's uh, oh, okay. or something. Okay, like Ratibraja. Okay, gotcha. Okay, Simon just said it, and it sounded really good when he said it, so I'm not going to try to do better than that. Um, so uh, a question is, uh, subject, vintage lens guide. Email, after falling in love with photography, the vintage lens is attracted uh, attracted me to a different perspective of creativity. So I became obsessed with them. I just love them. At the beginning of 2018, I decided to learn the programming of Android applications 
And the first application I had was for vintage lenses. The application works on the Android platform only, but with a little support, I would be able to create an application for the iPhone platform to join the family of, of vintage lens guide. Until now, the vintage lenses did not have any custom applications on any of the known platforms until this application appeared. Um, I think these lenses deserve to have their own application that talked about their properties and advantages and puts a complete archive for all lenses made in the past two centuries. Uh, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. I just started. Please help me to complete this trip. Thank you. Support me on Patreon. So it was, I just read a commercial. Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> okay. I did vet this commercial. I, I, okay. You know, I, all right. I, and I, it I, isn't a commercial for Raynox lenses this no, time, so no, I'm, no, I'm no, good with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, um, yeah, so it's a, it, we're talking about an app, um, and I think it's a really good idea, and I think it's uh, it's worth um, letting letting people uh, know about it. And cool. it's uh, and it's something that's absolutely in its uh, infancy at the moment. And it's called Vintage Lens Guide, um, and as uh, as you've just said, there it's available on uh, Android, and the the cool. basis behind it. You seem to make some involuntary noises there. Did you want to say something there? I just said this is really cool. I like. I think that's a great. That's a great thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, and it's uh, from what I can see, it's, it enables you to um, put on uh, mini reviews of lenses, and so it's it's going to build up a database of. Uh, many classic lenses and there's there aren't that many on there but that's because it's new and if people want to support it and um, make these you know take a photograph of the lens and uh, and write something about it and upload it to to it then then yeah i think it, it could be a really useful especially on the go uh, kind of guy because i mean when you're at home and uh, you've got a computer in front of you and you can search out information whenever you want but if it's it does it's not quite so easy if you're out out and about and you see something interesting and you think well i wonder what this lens is all about and you could potentially go to this app and if somebody's actually written about it then you'll have some information about it so as a non-android user and and that doesn't really have anything to do with anything other than the fact that i started with an iphone right um uh, have you have you looked at the app, Simon? Yeah, I've, I've got it. I've got it in front okay. of me at the moment. Yeah. Now, does it? Can I ask a question then? Yeah. Um, does does the when you let's say you're going to write a review of the lens, does it prompt you to talk about what platform or you know what camera you're using or what does it get? Does or is it just straight up? Here's this lens. Here's my review. You know what I'm saying? Is it does it does it ask for information? related uh, to how you make the images or no i don't i don't think so no uh, okay so, can, so, it's, so it's bollocks <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well I, th I think i think the uh the the there's there's going to be room for improvement um let's okay. uh let's so my I, my suggestion then is going to be i think that an app of this sort if it's going to propagate reviews of lenses, that information is relatively critical yes. to to the to a review of any lens at this point, because there are a lot of spur spurious statements made about classic lenses. I think, um, and if you don't know on which, <laughs> you know, first of all, which world this lens is being reviewed in the film world or digital world, and then what camera system it's being reviewed on, I think it's hard to form 
uh, unbiased judgments, shall we say, objective judgments yeah. of, a, of, a, of a lens's performance. Yeah, and yeah. I know I go on about this every single effing show now, but I'm, I, I've got to say, I, I think, um, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I think it makes a really big, if you're going to make a judgment about a lens and tell the, tell the world that a certain lens is a good lens or a bad lens, you really kind of need to talk about how you came to that conclusion. Yeah. Yep. Okay. okay. Yeah, there's, there's, I don't think there's any argument from either of us on that one. Um, okay. Yep. And uh, uh, Rita, I'm sure you're listening to this. Uh, please listen to what Johnny's just said there, because um, yeah, that it makes a whole not whole lot of sense. So I'm, I'm sure there's a, a will to get as much information on there as, as quickly as possible to to populate yeah. things. But sure. I think that yeah, context is 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 vital. Uh, with, yeah. with something like this and um, yeah some lens I mean, we've just been talking about it some lenses just work better on some systems and that doesn't make a lens bad it just means it doesn't work on a particular system particularly well you right know? and uh, so yeah. yeah it can it can it's got the potential of being uh, unfair to certain lenses and right. uh, so uh, there's um, I, I, I admire what you're doing here I like the idea behind it um, but certainly you, you, there's there's going to be a, a lot of potential moderation uh, and effort that you're going to have to put into this unless you uh, do get people to state uh, what their their reviews are based upon in the equipment that they've used and even potentially down to if they're using it on film then what film did you use because that could make sure. a difference as well absolutely um, yeah yeah so, uh, so, but, good. But, a, but, a, but a great idea. It's a, yes. it looks like a great concept. That's it. Yeah. So good, good luck with that one, and uh, hope, hopefully, you can you can take that forward, and they'll become popular and useful. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, All right. Right. So, uh, does anybody have anything else they want to specifically talk about, or should we do shout outs and uh, and go home? Shout out. Okay. <laughs> 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 um, Cole, have you got any shout outs? Oh, I, I meant wrap it up. I didn't mean shout outs. <laughs> shout out! Shout out to the um, to Mike Gutterman for putting up with Simon, or for, for putting up with Johnny for all of that time. <laughs> I, th I, th I think they deserved each other personally. For that, you <laughs> I would just like to state for the record that I survived the negative positives podcast without being converted. To, to APS evangelism, unlike certain members of this podcast team. Yeah. Um, you're, you're talking about the UK chapter of the uh, APS revival. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. No, I, I want to also thank uh, uh, Andre and Mike for having me on, which was a, uh, uh, it was a very, it was a very enjoyable experience. It was a lot of fun talking. Yeah. Well, well, well done for Andre for staying awake through Johnny's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. I thought for sure I was going to get a snooze out of him, but he was, he was really, he was in. So he was all in. Okay. Um, right. Well, uh, seeing that uh, Carl hasn't got any shout outs, um, do you want to? I keep saying Mike. Do you want to, Mike? Do you want to uh, um, say something? And when I say that, it's because in front of me, there's a profile picture that I think I may have said this somewhere, and it says the real Mike Ekman. Um, that, that, <laughs> that, that is the profile picture of Johnny Sisson when we talk on, on Google Hangouts, and it throws me so many times. Please change it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm really, I'm really growing fond of, of being the real Mike Ekman. I, I, don't, I don't know that I can change it this point. No, I probably should. Yeah. So, I, I probably uh, should. so 
Johnny. Um, how yes. Can, yes. How, how can how can people follow you outside of this podcast? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at uh, at System Photography, and you can uh, meet me in person. Talk to me in person at Central Camera Company in Chicago um, uh, every single day of the week, except for Sunday and Monday. I am there. Um, and uh, I should also say, I'll just go right into the rest of the the, the spiel. Um, please check us out at our home, our, our podcast home, which is classiclensespodcast.com. Uh, and that's where you will find all of our podcasts. You will find show notes, uh, which I am in the process of rebuilding the show notes for previous episodes. I'm, I have a few more to go. Um, but that is the official home of the podcast where you can do amazing things such as click a link to send us a message, um, uh, look at back episodes, et cetera, et cetera. So check that out there. Um, you should also be in your Instagramming, t- tagging your photos with the hashtags best vintage lens uh, and uh, is it classic lenses? I can't remember today. I think it's cl- hashtag classic lenses. I don't remember. Just, just you know what? Go to the podcast website and it's all there. Okay. Just go there. That's where you should be listening to this episode and you should be going there to get the links. So do that. And you can also send us an email at uh, classic lenses podcast at gmail.com. Or again, just simply go to the, the website and you can click right through there to send us a message. And uh, before I go on to Carl, I just realized we, we haven't touched upon the, um, the coffee donations that we've uh, had this week. Uh, because a lot of people uh, took pity on us uh, last week. <laughs> um, so uh, just uh, quickly to go through this, uh, Ian Fleming, who I met yesterday, and he's a very nice man, um, and he said, uh, so the coffees were, were for, for doing it twice, uh, bloody funny listen with all the bleeps, uh, but I guess a nightmare for all. Yes, and yes, and yes. Um, <laughs> uh, um, Andy Clement, um, maybe use, use this to buy each other some tech support, tech support instead of coffee. Um, it's still my favourite podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Andy. And uh, we, we've worked out what we are going to do next. Um, yeah. I say all this because who knows, this, this podcast that might not have been recorded properly. So, uh, <laughs> um, so f- yeah. fingers crossed. I mean, I'm going to do this again. Um, so, yeah, we're going to build some redundancy in. So, uh, Johnny is going to record the, the same episode from his end. And if uh, my recording fails, then hopefully Johnny's will be okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, then Nigel Cliff, again, has donated to us. Um, uh, would have liked to have heard part one, but, t- but part two is still uh, worth a couple of coffees, despite despite the slagging off of 28 millimeters. Um, <laughs> Uh, love my Tamron and twenty eight and Sun twenty eight millimeters. Uh, off to sleep now. Um, after after three hours of non stop sissing. <laughs> so, yeah. oh, good God. Yeah. So he's 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 been forced to listen to you through two episodes of uh, apologies well, and, and that. So uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Robbie J uh, said three coffees for Johnny uh, for talking to me about panorama masks for half an hour. And let me try out his Minolta Panavision. Thanks, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fun, Rob. Thanks for coming in. Um, and uh, we had a donation from Jeremy North, um, and that had no part of me being nice to him this week. Uh, <laughs> I was completely independent of that. Um, and uh, so th- thank you, Jeremy. And uh, oh, 
Chris Holland uh, has uh, donated to us. I think actually, that might have actually happened today, uh, which I didn't notice this one before. And he goes, uh, thanks for, this is the Chris Holland of uh, Wet on Wet or Wet in Wet Boca fame. Um, thanks, for, thanks for putting the Raynox 135 2.8 into your uh, Bestarian Voke. Oh, I wish I'd read this before now. <laughs> He's done something in Latin. Uh, which I struggle to read English, let alone Latin. Uh, but thanks, Chris. <laughs> so, uh, so something these getting me to put in there uh, in episode fifty nine of your Classic Legends podcast. Uh, cheers, Chris Holland, and uh, thank thank you, Chris. So uh, yeah, thank you very much for those donations. If you if you do want to help us out, um, you can donate to us if you go to coffee dot com. That's k o dash f i dot com, and just search Classic Lenses. You'll you'll see our page there. Um, so thank you all again on, on that one so I'm going to go to Carl now who's, who's waiting patiently to uh, tell us about how we can follow him okay on the uh, Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook page um, I've just been sitting here listening to you guys go on and my Flickr page is pretty up to date now and on um, Instagram I'm posting um, more, way more often on Instagram maybe than anywhere else and it's, I'm just Carl Havens my name on Flickr and Instagram it's never just Carl Havens, though, is it? It's, it's, it's Carl Havens, yeah, on Flickr and Instagram. Oh, oh I, I, um, I want to mention something, because... Um, <laughs> no, I'll talk about this next time. We'll, we'll talk about this another time. Go ahead. All right, so a, a, a future episode, okay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And talking to future episodes, next week, uh, I think I mentioned this last week, maybe, uh, but we've got Nick Lyle of the Homemade Camera podcast coming on uh, to cool. talk to us about uh, adapting anything to anything so ah, great really excellent good. excellent that's yeah. gonna be good we love adapting we do we do although that's not with carl because carl won't be with us next week will you carl now i'll be out with my, my local photo friends doing a photo walk yeah shooting wide angle lenses that's our theme yeah. all right that's cool that's that's then i have this tamron ready to go man <laughs> Very good. Tokina. 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 And I didn't get the... That's right. Tokina. Yeah. Tamron is just one you mentioned, but we don't have, right? That's right. That's right. Um, and uh, so, finally, from me, um, you can find me on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. I'm on Twitter as Simon4. Uh, I have a website, Simon Forster photographic.co.uk I'm on Flickr as It's Fozzy I've got an eBay shop if you're doing another search for It's Fozzy that's in the UK um, you can find us all in the Facebook group for Photography with Classic Lenses and I uh, just want to thank Kevin McLeod for letting us use his uh, music as our theme when we use Octo Blues, and uh, you can get that via incompetech.com um, so I hope you've enjoyed listening to this week's show and it'd be great if you can join us again next week. So uh, goodbye. <laughs>